and I'm kind of looked at like an alien when I show up at these um, emergency management conferences with my my planning background. Um, but I'm seeing more and more young planners kind of taking a closer look at emergency management. Disaster recovery is something that cannot be separated from the planning field. Um, but I'm, I'm seeing more and more folks kind of looking for non-traditional jobs in the disaster recovery space. Welcome to the American Planning Association podcast. This episode continues our series that takes a look at the people behind the plans, showcasing the work, life, and stories of planners from all across the profession. I'm your host, Courtney Kashima, founder and principal at Muse Community Design, a planning and public engagement studio in Chicago, Illinois. I'm also a longtime member of the American Planning Association. Our guest today is Anessa Janes, AICP. Anessa is the Community Resilience Coordinator for the City of Arvada, Colorado. She has a PhD in Design and Planning from the University of Colorado, Denver, and an MS and BS from Stanford University. Anessa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So September is National Preparedness Month, and I know in my life I see the... uh, public service announcements come up and think about what I should be doing, what I could be doing. What's your experience leading and advising at the local level, how people should think about preparedness and maybe what gets lost uh, in the message? I think that's a great question. So in my current role, a lot of the preparedness work I'm doing is for our organization. Um, So I do a lot of work making sure that the city is prepared to recoup as much money from the Federal Emergency Management Agency if we're impacted by a disaster. Um, so what does that mean for our processes? How do we track our, um, you know, our emergency procurement of resources? You know, how do, we, how do we get contractors on call so that, you know, we can be as resilient as possible in the face of an emergency fiscally as an organization? Um, we also prepare a disaster recovery plan, and I think not many communities have disaster recovery plans. Almost every community has an emergency operation plan, but a disaster recovery plan is, is a great way to start conversations about all of the things that help our city provide services to our community members and what are the things that we need the most in order to kind of provide those services after a shock. During our disaster recovery planning process, we talked a lot about our people. What are the human services that you know, we need to be able to provide in the event of a disaster? Um, is it food? Is it sheltering? Um, where, were the, where will those kind of assets and resources be? And how do we work across departments to kind of situate the city best um, for an equitable recovery? In terms of our neighborhoods, um, we really encourage Arvada community members to know their neighbors as one of the the most important elements of being prepared. Um, We find after most disaster events that neighbors help neighbors and your first responder most likely is going to be the person who lives next door to you and who is willing to help. Uh, In the largest events, police and fire um, may not be able to get to you quickly. So I think a lot of our conversations here are about changing that expectation and empowering neighborhoods to 
prepare and save themselves. So clearly this is much more than, you know, have a first aid kit and a meeting place. Um, This important work sits between, I would imagine, people finding it too hypothetical or, I I worry more recently, um, becoming desensitized. So what are some of the specifics that go in a city's recovery or resilience strategy to be best prepared for a shock? and even define what a shock is for us? Sure. So a shock can really be anything that disrupts our ability to function as a city. If you think of the city as an organism. So recently we've been talking about the difference between shocks and stresses, and those are both things that um, can impact the ability of a community to uh, provide services or a city to provide services. A shock is something that's acute, and it comes on quickly, and it disrupts a system. A stress is a more slow-moving disruption that might not affect us today, um, but really impacts the way that that we function in the future. What's interesting about resilience is that it comes from the field of ecology. So in the 1970s, ecologists were really curious about how natural systems behave when they're disrupted by a shock or a stress, so something acute or something slow-moving, and what makes a system able to kind of continue on and carry on in the face of those types of things. So in a city, some of the shocks that we plan for are floods, wildfires. You could also think of a recession as a shock. A stress is something like a, um, a drought. It could also be kind of a, a demographic shift that stresses a community. And so at the city of Arvada, in our resilience framework and our development of our strategy, we're thinking of the shocks and stresses kind of at a broader level. So what are those things that, um, that are going to impact our ability to, um, to grow, to continue to provide services, to have healthy you know, places to recreate, um, a good sense of community, those types of things. That's extremely helpful, I think, for planners and other decision makers to wrap their heads around it. Have you found that describing it that way helps individuals to connect these ideas to their own quality of life? Or is there a point where it's sort of like, if it's everything, it's nothing? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So if you look at um, the framework the resilience frameworks that communities who participated in the Rockefeller 100 Resilient Cities program put together, they're all different. And most cities have, all of the cities have identified, you know, two to three stresses or shocks that really resonate with the community. And some resilience plans don't even mention climate or uh, hazards. Um, So it's things like, you know, mistrust of government or health, public health. Um, so I believe that we really do need to keep the list small and salient and that too much is too much does run the risk of being nothing. But is there something either in your work or in the practice that has really excited you or you think people doing resilience work really need to pay attention to? So recently I presented at um, the Colorado Emergency Management Association conference, and I was really excited that there were young planners in the audience at that, at that conference. Um, 
And I think that planners working in the resilience space really do have an advocate and a champion in the emergency management field. And so if your city is not putting resources towards a full-time community resilience officer or program, um, there are partners in emergency management who do this every day and would benefit greatly from, you know, having a partner with the skills of a planner um, to help them kind of implement these projects in your communities. So interested in getting a hot take at the time of this recording, we're in the middle of the global climate strike, um, which I think over 150 countries participated in last Friday. Um, what's your hot take on the global climate strike? Yeah, I think it's a it's incredibly important uh, thing to be happening. I'm inspired uh, that it's being led by our next generation of leaders. Um, so it, it definitely motivates me in my daily work to um, kind of keep talking about climate and resilience in a way that um, resonates with our decision makers. What do you think is difficult for people to understand at this point? Uh, do you have any success stories to share around communicating and coordinating efforts around resilience? Yeah, I think it's really challenging for people to understand the science of climate change. There's a lot of information out there about what the causes are, um, what does a single degree in temperature mean for our ecosystem and our cities. Uh, so I think that can get really kind of confusing and scary for people. Um, so by reframing the conversation in ways that are more understandable or by telling a story uh, that helps people connect with the, the issue of climate change, uh, I've I found that I, you know, have had more success in, you know, helping my communities take action. What was your path to resilience work? How did you get to the city of Arvada? Um, let us share with us how you found your way. Sure, sure. Um, so I kind of started um, on my path towards resilience work with a passion for the environment and conservation. Uh, I was really interested in climate justice and social justice at a young age. I grew up in Colorado and I loved to backpack and my family and I spent a lot of time outdoors. And um, so as an undergraduate, I studied environmental science uh, with a focus on land use and climate. Uh, and then it, when I was in college, it was when I started having conversations about the climate science with colleagues and family members, um, I realized that there are um, the, the conversation always kind of went to the political realm, you know, and always became contentious rather than a conversation about action and the things that we can do um, as stewards. Uh, so for that reason, I decided to get into science communication and journalism and really unpack how we can tell stories around um, climate change to motivate people to, to take action and to help people better understand it. Um, and that's what led me into planning. I joined a program at the University of Colorado, Denver, um, about sustainable urban infrastructure, and that's how I um, got my PhD there. And through that program, it brought together researchers from public affairs, planning, uh, engineering, um, public health, and policy, and the cohort of students and I worked together to kind of tackle complex problems around sustainability and climate change mitigation. Um, and so I was going at that through the, the planning the planning realm, 
and found that disasters and resilience is a really um, compelling way to to tell that story that I keep talking about, about how climate change can really impact our our lives, our economy, uh, and touch parts of our lives that um, that we really value. So how long has the city of Arvada had a community resilience coordinator and which other communities are leading the way on issues of resilience? So the city of Arvada has had a community resilience coordinator position for three years. Previously, the position was held by um, the emergency management coordinator. So I am responsible for all of our emergency management programming as well as our uh, community resilience work. Um, but they are intimately related and, and closely paired. The role at the city of Arvada was modeled after the Rockefeller Foundation's 100 Resilient Cities Initiative. We are not a receiver of Rockefeller funds, um, but we were able to repurpose dollars um, to create kind of this new position for the city based on the goals of our leadership um, and some of the visioning we were hearing from our community members. So some leaders in the realm of resilience include a lot of the the Rockefeller Foundation cities, and, and that program just recently shuttered its doors about a month ago, I believe, Um, but there's still an an incredible amount of work being carried forward by those um, participating communities. Um, I haven't seen many communities um, like ours who are not Rockefeller um, award winners uh, who are creating positions like like mine, Um, but I I think it's something that um, is getting the attention of more and more communities. The state of Colorado just uh, developed a through the Department of Local Affairs, and they just started the uh, Colorado Resilience Office. And that office has been established to provide um, leadership and technical assistance to communities in our state who are looking to either establish um, a resiliency program or develop strategies and frameworks around resilience. So our state, I think, is a... um, is doing really good work um, at the front at the front lines of, of resilience. And I should note, Arvada is a city of just north of a hundred thousand people in terms of population. What have you learned working in a city at that scale, and how it might be similar or different um, than smaller and bigger cities? Yeah, that's a good question. So Arvada is um, it's looks a lot like many other mid-sized American suburbs. We uh, have a history in farming, and that that identity is still really important to us. Um, We are aging fairly quickly. We're aging more quickly than a lot of our neighboring um, communities. Um, So that's created some pretty unique challenges for um, our infrastructure and our planning, um, but also how we kind of frame the whole idea of change and how we talk about change and shocks and resilience. So being a smaller city, um, we are pretty nimble. I think that we, uh, staff members and planners and, and folks like me, have opportunities to engage a whole lot with both our community members and our um, our city council members. Um, we have fewer resources than larger cities like Denver and Boulder. Uh, we're not as um, we don't lean the, the same way politically that this, a city like Boulder does, um, but that still gives us opportunities to um, to innovate in, in different ways than our than our peers do. So, what projects are you currently working on in this regard? 
So right now, I'm working on developing the City of Arvada's first municipal resilience strategy. And this strategy brings together a lot of the milestones and action items from um, our various planning documents and initiatives to kind of give us a framework for how we're going to be resilient uh, to to all types of changes moving forward. So that's a pretty exciting um, thing that we're working on now. We're hoping to have a draft ready uh, by the end of October for uh, council review and comment. I noticed on the Arvada website, uh, your Resilient Neighborhoods program, and I thought that was a, a nice and relatively easy way to connect these issues to individuals' quality of life. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So the Resilient Neighborhoods program is about building social cohesion, a sense of community in our neighborhoods. If you look at research after Hurricane Sandy and um, you know large earthquakes in Japan, we find that communities that have stronger sense of of community or neighborhoods that have stronger sense of community actually recover faster from the same disaster than ones that um, in which people feel disconnected. So the purpose of the Resilient Neighborhoods Program is to help our neighborhoods kind of feel more connected and get to know each other. So we fund block parties and uh, social events, um, community projects where Neighbors can work together to build um, communal gathering places. And we don't really frame this as a setting up a place to meet in, in the event of an emergency. It's more of an exercise in having fun together, learning uh, each other's names, identifying kind of what people's needs are and what resources they have. Eventually, once those relationships are built, we can start talking about what we might do in the event of an emergency or a disaster or how climate change is impacting um, their daily lives. And so we're really using the neighborhoods as a way of building resilience um, to any type of kind of shock or change in our community, whether it's growth or demographic shifts or a drought or a heat wave. How about zombie apocalypse? And zombie apocalypse, too. I think that's a really important one. So how does your work, um, whether it's a program like Resilient Neighborhoods or the forthcoming strategy, how does it connect to other or larger city goals? So we just recently developed our six-year city council strategic plan. So we just wrapped up our our last plan and we're starting a new six-year cycle. And this strategic plan outlines a number of goals that our city council would like to see achieved um, over the, the next six years. Resilience is embedded into that plan. Um, it aligns with a lot of our infrastructure goals, um, our goals for safe communities. Um, vibrant neighborhoods is also a piece of that. Um, organizational and service effectiveness is a big one. So what does that mean? That's how we as an organization um, are being fiscally responsible. How able are we to you know, provide basic services in the event of an emergency? So the resilience, um, the elements of the resilience strategy fold really nicely into that council strategic plan. We also uh, just updated our land development code and a lot of um, kind of resilience-facing measures about um, risk reduction are, are brought there in that document as well. So it's really, it's not another, resiliency is not an, a, yet another thing that you know, city staff needs to, um, to work on. It's more of an overarching framework that, you know, draws a thread between all of the things that we do and, and ultimately makes it easier for us to get those things done. On that note, I read that 
you have experience with or have studied systems thinking and interagency relations. And I wonder how that impacts your work now, because as anyone in the planning field knows, um, how decisions get made, who makes decisions, uh, communicating, those can be more important than the topic itself. Absolutely. It's so important to really understand what a win means to your partners. And I think when we're looking at leveraging resources with another agency or funder, or if we're looking at kind of influencing a decision maker to make a hard choice that will lead to better resiliency outcomes, um, we really need to take that time to understand what that win means. Um, so I have been working on kind of increasing my own skills in um, you know, conflict resolution, mediation, um, how to collaborate with people that are different than me, how to listen better. Um, these soft skills, I think, are um, incredibly crucial in um, not only seeing the, the zooming back and seeing the whole picture of the problem, um, but also identifying kind of what nuggets are going to um, really motivate um, motivate a partner to work closely with me and my city on, on achieving our goals. Can you share a big win or lesson learned from that approach? Yeah, I really do think that um, getting a resilience, an explicitly resilience-focused um, milestone and strategic result into our strategic, our city council strategic plan was a huge win. Uh, Arvada is um, not a community that has recently experienced a big disaster. And we've had some disasters in the state over the last 10 years, but Arvada really hasn't been hit hard by anything recently. Um, we're also not a community that um, really talks about climate change a lot. It's not one of our top priorities. Um, and so being able to embed resilience into our plan that's going to be, and it's going to be there for the next six years, and all city departments are going to be working on achieving these results. Um, that was a that was a huge win for me, and I think it's um, it's a testament to kind of understanding the audience, um, listening, and identifying kind of what story is going to to motivate motivate our team. And one of the milestones we have is to uh, create and adopt the city's first municipal resilience strategy, and we're working on that now. So we're already kind of cracking on that. And then another one is to create a community-wide resilience collaborative that will be made up of, um, you know, internal and external stakeholders, and it'll allow us to have ownership or different organizations and folks will take ownership of our resilience actions. So even if my position were to um, no longer be funded, this collaborative would be able to carry forward and take ownership of the, the actions that, that we decide to take on. I noticed you have a background in pretty much every sector of planning, consulting, working at the federal level, obviously local government, academia, not-for-profit. How does that shape your work now, and what are some of the differences or lessons learned from being in different sectors? Yeah, I think one of the biggest differences is the pace of decision-making and kind of the, the ability to innovate quickly. Um, and so what I've learned from you know, recognizing that difference in speed is to be patient um, and to be strategic and to find things that 
give me energy so that I can um, continue to push and, and innovate even when things might be moving slower than I would like. One of those positions took you to Mongolia, where you stayed for a couple of years. How has travel and working abroad shaped your views? Yeah, working in Mongolia was incredible. It's um, it's something that I would love to do again, and it's a I recommend it to anyone who gets a chance to travel there. Um, I grew up traveling. My, both of my parents are anthropologists, so I grew up kind of being swept around and um, taken to to different cities. Um, and I think the the experiences of traveling and and mostly to developing countries has really shown me how, gosh, how how privileged we are here in the United States and how important it is that we look out for those who don't have as much. Um, and so it's it's really instilled an importance in um, kind of environmental justice, equity, uh, in all of the projects that I work on. Yeah, I'm really interested in examples, whether from your own work or others, about um, amplifying issues and impacts in the name of equity or, in particular, vulnerable populations. Sure. So in the past, um, I worked on a lot of hazard mitigation plans. And these are plans that are required by local jurisdictions if they're going to get FEMA funding after a disaster and get that recovery dollars. And a lot of my dissertation work in graduate school was studying social vulnerability and how we can use our understanding of um, the social determinants of vulnerability to mitigate our hazard risk. Um, so I took, it, I took it very seriously and helped communities figure out how to use data to identify where their vulnerable populations are during the hazard mitigation planning process. Um, and so for a lot of communities, this was new. Um, you know, typically hazard mitigation plans look at where floodplains are, where wildfire interface zones are, um, and adding that extra layer of social vulnerability data, uh, I think, um, strengthened the plan. It infused it with kind of a social justice and equity lens um, and kind of allowed communities to um, think about that next time they update their plans and, and are talking about the impacts of hazards and disasters over time. Are there any example cities or programs, um, whether from the U.S. or abroad, that you can share that have really uh, moved the needle on this idea? That is so hard. I, I have been working here at Arvada to develop metrics for measuring resilience in our city. And, you know, there aren't very many communities that are doing it well yet. Um, so I think having the conversations are important um, and and they do have impacts. But um, that question of moving the needle is just such a hard one for me because measuring risk reduction or, or measuring the ability to bounce back is just super tricky. And that's where talking about social cohesion and using some of this information from previous disasters about how people recover and how, you know, knowing your neighbor makes a big difference uh, can be really helpful in kind of measuring and tracking our progress over time. I think, for example, the field of sustainability we've made more progress on uh, as individual cities and states integrating it with various operations. 
What's different about resilience work and how it fits into a municipal structure and the kinds of things you have to consider? Yeah, so to a lot of folks, resilience is starting to feel a bit like sustainability. Um, The concepts are closely related. Um, But the way I think about resilience is that it's about change. So sustainability at, at its core is really about maintaining a level of being or, you know, maintaining stability. Resilience is about kind of finding a better outcome, finding a new normal, kind of not returning to the old state, but finding something new. It's, it's adaptation. I think for, for the city of Arvada, you know, we are a rapidly growing and rapidly aging community. So change and change management is something that we talk about every day in all of our departments um, at all levels. So resilience is a new lens for approaching change. And it's kind of like the growth mindset. You know, we, we embrace change as an opportunity and rather than kind of lamenting what we're losing through the change. And I think at our city, the conversations about resilience have gone hand in hand with our conversations about culture change and performance excellence and, and hearing the voice of our changing community. I think, as you mentioned earlier, it can be a very empowering approach and communities facing change don't have to feel victimized by it or powerless, but that it can be um, something that brings everyone together. Absolutely. And I, I learned from my work in social vulnerability that categorizing a neighborhood or a city as a socially vulnerable place doesn't empower the people who live there and work there. Um, so resilience is a, is a really great way of, of reframing that conversation while still keeping an eye on um, kind of those social determinants of health and risk. So I'll never forget, I must have been a freshman in high school when the great Mississippi River flood of 1993 happened. And I saw neighbors canoeing in our cul-de-sac even though my town was probably 30 or so miles away. And it was really a point of neighbors helping neighbors, people coming together. Uh, I think I'll never forget it. But on the other hand, I feel like we collectively have a short memory, even if you've been through something. Have you found ways to address that or overcome it? Absolutely. We actually, in the emergency management field, we say never let a good disaster go to waste. And that sounds awful, but the point is we have short memories. And so in the immediate aftermath of a a disaster or an event, it's important to kind of bring up kind of ways that we can improve and to change policy and make, make your plans. Um, yes. I also think that you know, resilience is, has been useful in Arvada because we are a community that hasn't recently had a disaster in the past. So we don't have that memory at all of kind of how hard it can be to, you know, recover and, and weather, weather a bad storm. Um, so the idea of, you know, getting to know our neighbors and knowing each other's names and sharing favors kind of is a way of of addressing this key element of resilience without having to talk about a disaster or, or refer to the hypothetical all of the time. So I'm going to ask you to get out your crystal ball, and especially for listeners who play a role in local government, 
what are your greatest hopes and maybe biggest concerns, the kind of things local government planners should take into consideration if they're just getting started or want to try to implement some of the things you've discussed? Yeah, I think um, I think that the changing demographics of our country are really interesting and might pose a really big challenge in the way that we do our work in local government. At our city, you know, we are figuring out how to engage better with our our residents and business owners, and it's almost like a moving target. You know, we're the the timing of our data collection and um, our community surveys is just a, a little bit too slow to really understand the voice of our of our community members and what they want and, um, you know, have the right resources available. So I think that finding a way to be more nimble in understanding who your community is and what they want uh, is, is something that we need to keep in mind. I also think that the American Planning Association's recent focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion is a big deal. Um, we are, as, as a professional organization, we have been behind and are, um, you know, planning as a profession, um, doesn't seem to represent the communities that, that we will be re- representing, um, in the future. So I think that we can, we can do better there. And I'm, I'm happy that the Plan- American Planning Association is taking that on. Um, and I think here in Colorado, it's water, how we're going to figure out water scarcity, um, also, how we're going to balance the needs of our, you know, aging boomers with the needs of our younger generation. Again, it's about the, the community voice and making sure that we're kind of taking an equitable approach to listening and decision-making around that. Well, I really appreciate the specific examples you shared and the insightful approach to this work. Are there any resources you'd like to share? Yeah, so recently I took a training called Radical Collaboration, and it's about um, learning how to overcome defensiveness and how to build successful relationships. And I really recommend it to any planners who are looking to uh, build better relationships across their city departments and also with um, external partners. Uh, it It was an incredible training and experience. I also recommend checking out the Natural Hazards Center, which is a research center located here in Colorado. If you're interested in seeing some good research about disaster recovery, response, and mitigation, they are just always doing incredible work. They have a conference every summer in Broomfield, Colorado, um, where emergency management and disaster recovery and preparedness and mitigation practitioners come together. Where can people track progress on the City of Arvada's resilience strategy? You can visit www.arvada.org to find more information about our programs. We have a Resilient Neighborhoods page there um, that you can find. You can also visit arvada.org slash resilience. You could also re- visit arvada.org slash prepare. Anessa, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the American Planning Association podcast. For more information and to hear past episodes, visit planning.org slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Have an idea for a podcast? Send them to podcast at planning.org. 